Welcome to the Redeemer Lincoln Square podcast. Our church began in April of 2017 and is located just down the street from Lincoln Center in the Lincoln Square neighborhood of Manhattan. Our channel will primarily feature sermons from our Sunday worship service, as well as encouraging stories and conversations with members of our LSQ church family. We hope you'll subscribe as a way to stay connected during this season of uncertainty and social distancing. Today's scripture is from 1 Kings 19, 1 to 16. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there, while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank, and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Haziel, king over Aram. Also, anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel-Meholah, to succeed you as prophet. Amen. Amen. 
Thank you, Tess. It was not an easy passage. Good morning and welcome to Redeemer Lincoln Square. We are starting today a new four-week mini-series looking at saints in despair. We are looking at individuals who are discouraged, who are downcast, who are afraid, and who are tired. And we're doing that, and we're going to ask the question, not just how do they get to this space, why are they in despair, but we're doing this to find out how God meets them in that despair. This is, I think, immensely practical for us this morning, because not just the fact that we are living today in sort of the post-Easter space, the post-resurrection, we're not just doing this because we're trying to figure out how does Christianity apply to us, we're doing this because pre-pandemic, post-pandemic, by almost every metric available, despair has increased. Discouragement has increased across all populations, across all ages, across all races in this country. And not only has it increased, but we've found no method that works. And there's no counseling or no, there's no pill that seems to be slowing down the rate of this increase. And so let me, let me try to be clear, though. Um, this is really important. This series is not addressing clinical depression or, or medical anxiety. Um, if you, uh, you know, I highly recommend seeking out medical professionals and sticking with them if you struggle with uh, cl- clinically depression or anxiety. What this is talking about, though, what we do want to address is the everyday anxiousness of life. We want to address the everyday nature of our discouragement and despair that, that we get into, the hurt and sadness that affects all of humanity and that everybody goes through. I believe we have to do this because we live in a world right now that's telling you, be happy, be happy. It's screaming at you through the, the, the Instagram feeds and the, the social media that you see and consume. You're being told, be happy, and yet the discouragement still comes. And we're not, we don't, we're not told how to handle it. So today, we're going to start this series, and we're going to begin in 1 Kings chapter 19. We're going to see three things here. Our plans, God's tenderness, and then his cure. Our plans, God's tenderness, and then his cure. So first, our plans. And before we can begin and look at our particular text, chapter 19, we have to look at the context, which was chapter 18. And in chapter 18, Elijah... The prophet of Israel wants to talk to the Israelites, but he can't because they've been led astray by bad leaders. King Ahab, Queen Jezebel, who had torn down the altars to uh, uh, Yahweh. And now all the people are worshiping Baal. There's 400 Baal prophets that report directly to the king and queen. So they have a whole internal system going on here. And Elijah shows up here and says, this is junk. We're going to, I'm going to do, somebody has to do something about this. It's going to have to be me, and I'm going to challenge them. I'm going to challenge them and say, all right, let's go. My God versus your God. Mano a mano. Let's have a contest. Let's throw this down. We're going to put two altars up, and we're going to put sacrifices on them. And the first person who's able to, or the first group who can, who can call down fire from heaven, that's the true God. And the Baal prophet said, all right, you're on, let's go. And they go first. So they build their altar, they have their, 
their sacrifice, and they start praying. And just to be sure, they start cutting themselves. They start dancing around the, the altar. They really go through every tradition they could, and nothing happens. It's actually kind of funny. Uh, in the, if you go to chapter 18, Elijah starts mocking them, says, where is your God? If you go to the ESV, though, it, it gets more literal. He says, where is your God? Maybe he's relieving himself, referring to the potty. Which, by the way, is why I think it's okay to have potty humor, because Elisha had potty humor, and if he can, I think we all can. It's, I have a scripture passage that says it's okay. Um, I thought it was funny. Um, all right, anyway, nothing happens on the altar of Baal, but Elijah does a very simple prayer, just a very, a very just basic prayer, O oh Lord, and fire comes down. And doesn't just burn up the, the sacrifice, it burns up the altar, the rocks around it, and everything in the vicinity is, is incinerated. And everybody watching, all the people of Israel were out watching this. They said, oh my goodness, it's clear here, the Lord is God. And they knew the Baal God was wrong and, and false. And so for Elijah, he probably thought, listen, I just called down fire from heaven. I, it's clear what's going to happen now. The people are going to overthrow this bad king or queen, or they're going to convert. But either way, my job's done here. That's chapter 18. And now we pick up the story here in chapter 19. And what we see here is Ahab tells Jezebel in verse 1 what Elijah did. And Jezebel sends a messenger in verse 2 saying, you're dead. He sa she says, uh, essentially, may the gods kill me if I don't kill you. And then actually she says here, she says, if by this time tomorrow, in other words, you got 24 hours, buddy, and your life's over. And so what does he do? In verse 3, he does what any self-respecting other individual would do. He ran. He was afraid. It says, look in verse 3. It says he, he was afraid and he ran. And it, it goes by pretty quickly, but as he's running, it says that he left his servant in the process. You say, why does that matter? Because he was a prophet of God. So to leave his servant, he was basically saying, I'm leaving the ministry. I'm leaving my infrastructure to, of, of being a prophet. He was quitting the ministry because he was so much in despair. And it says here, then he goes and he sits under a broom bush. And uh, I don't have time to get into this, but in, in the Bible, whenever you sit under a tree, there's a curse going on here. There's, there's a, um, a, a deep discouragement and despair that's being essentially personified. And he says here, I'm done, I'm over, end my life. I'm so in despair, I'm so discouraged. Why? And the answer why is because in Elijah's mind, he just had the duel. He just called down fire from heaven. The people were supposed to rise up, and they all saw it. They saw what happened, and they didn't rise up. What he thought should have happened did not happen. And by the way, the process of his discouragement happens oh, so quickly we don't have chapter 18 here, but in four verses, he had called on fire from heaven, and four verses later, he's this discouraged. And the reason why he's this discouraged is because what should have worked didn't work. That God's plan was not his plan. That God's way wasn't his way. And so just pull back for a second here. Have you ever been so discouraged because of what you think how life should be going in society, in the world is not going the way that you think it should go. Have you ever been so upset about how things have not changed 
politically, socially, spiritually, that, as, that you think should actually change. Because right here, what you have is probably one of the most amazing miracles in all the Bible. This is the best prophet in all the Bible, calls on fire from heaven, and yet now he's at the highest high, and now gets to the lowest low, because he sees, in his mind, he sees nothing changing. I believe this country right now, in this moment, we, we are a country filled with individuals deeply discouraged and despondent about how things are going out there. And part of why we're upset is because we, we look at and we say, why are people not rising up? Why are they not rising up against what we, you know, that issue, that social ill, that political cause? Why not? Why is nobody else able to see this? And I think we have villains today. We have people like Ahab and Jezebel as well. And we don't see anything happening. Now, and that's, that's in general, but let's try to, let's make it one step further. Let's, let's personalize this. Have you ever been deeply discouraged because of the, the way your life is going is not the way you want it to go? Have you ever been deeply dissatisfied and downcast? Elijah had a plan for how his life should go, and it didn't go that way. And so today, if you're mad, if you're upset, if you're discouraged about how you think your life should go, you're in good company. You're in the same place as Elijah. And the question we should ask ourselves is, is it possible that his timeline isn't our timeline? Is it possible? See, I think Elijah thought that he was the hero of his own story. And it turns out he wasn't. Are you comfortable? Can you be okay with the fact that you might not be the hero of your own story? I've found for myself, when I, sometimes when I'm the most deeply discouraged, when I, when I look inside and ask myself why, I find that it's because usually it's unmet expectations about how I think my life is supposed to be going at that moment. Where might that be for you? What might that look like for you? What, might that, what, what, could, what could that be? Is it career? Is it relationships? Is it, is it friendships? Is it family? I don't know. But the problem is often with our plans. That's what we see here, first thing. Now, secondly, how does God respond? Uh, when we're in despair, when we're discouraged, when we're in this sort of space, what I see in this text, I see a tender response. And I see it come in three parts, and it's actually an order. There's an order of how it, God responds that I think applies to us from him. But I think it also gives us a template about how we're supposed to respond to others who are in despair. At Redeemer Lincoln Square, we value questions and the people who ask them, which is why we hold a time of question and response, or Q&R, after our Sunday worship service. It's an opportunity for anyone to text in questions and then process responses alongside our pastors and other members of our church community. If you have questions that you'd like to process, feel free to email us at lsq at redeemer.com or join us for our virtual worship service on YouTube every Sunday at 1030 a.m. Eastern. You can find our YouTube channel at lincolnsquare.redeemer.com slash YouTube. Let's look at it first. Number one, first thing we see here, when he lays down the next verse, the next line says, all at once an angel touched him. And that touch is actually pretty surprising. And the reason why it's surprising is because in the Old Testament, particularly, 
You can't touch an angel. You can't touch God. In the Bible, what you have generally, when an angel of the Lord shows up, you have a burning bush and it's holy ground. Take off your shoes. Don't come near. Or you have God at Mount Horeb, right? And if you t even touch the mountain, you are dead. You have Moses who said, I want to see your face. And God says, you can't even see, you can't even look at my face, let alone touch. So the fact that the angel touches him to wake him up, it's so gentle, it's so endearing, it's so tender, I, I think it's startling. If you kind of read that, that, that verse over and over, the, the first thing God does here, when Elijah has sort of given up the ministry and run for his life, he doesn't come in, with a lecture and say, I gave you fireballs from heaven. What are you doing? There's a, there's a um, I grew up in the 90s, 80s, 90s, there's a, a video game Street Fighter where one of the characters can like do a fireball. That's what Elijah can do. And God did not say, hey, I gave you this power. Why are you running away? He doesn't lecture him. He also doesn't say, hey, oh, you of little faith. Don't you know how amazing I am? How dare you do that? He doesn't, he doesn't shame Elijah either. Instead, he just begins with a touch. This is empathy personified. And not only is this going to Elijah, ask yourself this, is the first thing that you do when somebody's discouraged or hurting or having a hard time, is the first move you make, is it empathy? Is it warmth? Is it touch? Number one. Number two, the second thing in order, after he touches, he says, the angel says, get up and eat. And looks around and says, there is some, br there is some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. Other translations say, it's hot cakes and water. And so Elijah eats and is refreshed. And then it says he falls right back to sleep. He drank and lays down again. The angel of the Lord, verse 7, shows up. A second time, touches him again, says, get up and eat. Again, which, by the way, this is important because it means this is not magic hotcakes and hot water. Didn't work the first time. What the angel Lord sees and assesses is, whoa, he needs a lot of refreshment. So this is two days in a row. In other words, this is so profound. God sees what Elijah most needs. And it wasn't a lecture. It wasn't a pep talk. It wasn't to point out where he was wrong. It was just to physically and personally care for him. You have a God that understands your makeup and understands who you are and often wants to just physically and personally meet you. And that sounds obvious, but actually, since I've talked to you with you all, it's not for your life. Because we live in 24 hours. We have a body. We have, we have um, a physicality. And you would think we would understand this, but then we don't. Because we fill our lives with so much stuff, and then we wake up and we say, why don't I feel like I'm close to God? Why don't I feel like I'm close to other people? And I will, I will literally sit with people and say, well, what are you spending your time on? And they're not spending time with God. They're not spending time with people. Because they're spending their time on everything else. I used to take with college students a piece of paper like this and say, this is a finite piece of paper. Here's 24 hours in a day. Let's fill it up. Six hours of, or seven or eight of, of sleep, work, relationships, friendships. Do you have time for God? Do you have time for hobbies and other people. See, people keep throwing stuff in there as if they can infinitely do so, and you can't. There are some things you can't do. And what I think what's, what's amazing about this passage is God knows this about you. Often we don't know this about ourselves. 
that you are both mind and body. And maybe, and maybe, just maybe, the reason why you're burnt out, it isn't because of that person over there. It isn't because of the job. It isn't because of some external circumstance. Maybe it's because we're not laying into our finiteness. Maybe we're not reveling and comfortable with our createdness. See, maybe what we need, maybe what you need right now is a walk in Central Park with a good friend with a cup of coffee. And that's what, because that's exactly what God is, is, is doing here. And it's so tender and it's so beautiful. And it's, it's amazing. It keeps coming again and again and again. But by the way, this is actually also a paradigm for how to help other people. Maybe before lecturing somebody, maybe before telling them where they're wrong and giving them platitudes, take them out for a meal. Go to their house and cook them a meal. Go for a walk with them. If they have kids, maybe go babysit for them. If you have kids and don't feel like you can, come to Lincoln Square. Let us pay for you to have a babysitter to go out. That's what it means to be the church, to support you and help you in that space. Whatever it is, what this is saying is we have a Lord who longs to cook for you and sit with you and meet you where your needs are. And when you won't let him, that's a major problem. When we won't let him, our world starts falling apart. That's what this is saying here. And I believe that what's beautiful here is we have a Lord who wants to refresh us and let us be in our full humanity. And the place where God starts, it's with something so simple. It's with warmth, earthly, holistic, bodily hospitality. And the implications are massive. We don't have time to talk about it, but it means your body is good. Your, the goal of life isn't to escape your body. It means your createdness and finiteness and limitedness is actually not a sign of your brokenness. It's a sign of your nature that God wants to meet you in. Where might you not be resting right now in your life? And where might you allow the Lord to meet you with baked bread and water? So, number one, empathy, touch. Number two, hot cakes and hot water. Thirdly, lastly, only after he does those things, then does God show up here and listen to Elijah. Look at verse 9. Uh, in verse 9, he says, what are you doing here, Elijah? And that, by the way, in English, that sounds kind of accusatory. In the Hebrew, it's, it's, it's not. It's, it's actually not said harshly. It's an invitation for Elijah to, to speak, which means we have a listening God here. And again, this could be a whole separate sermon about how we have a listening God. We don't have time with it for that. But the point is this. You have a listening Lord you have somebody who wants to, you have a, the, the, the king of the universe wants to listen to you right now and hear from you. And by the way, what does Elijah say? Is it, any, it, is it profound? Look at what he says in verse 10. I've been very zealous for you, Lord. Which all the commentaries point out. He's basically like, look how awesome I am. Look what I've done. And the context of all this is he's basically like, I did everything right. I followed the plan. I didn't fail. And then, by the way, look at all the yous. It was your people and, and uh, your prophets. It was all these other people. The blame game is going on in full measure here, number one. Number two is he says, hey, they're all trying to kill me now. Do you see that here in verse 10? And you say, well, who, who's, who's they? It's the Israelites who are now trying to put me to death, which, by the way, is not true. Remember, it was Jezebel. So he's actually expanding the truth here. He's kind of, he's elongating it, which sounds very similar to what Eve did in the garden. 
where Eve said, oh yeah, well, we can't, we can't eat it. We can't even touch it, the fruit in the garden, which is not true either. He's doing this because he's throwing himself a self-pity party. This is a, this is a victimization mentality. Number three, then the last thing he says here is he says, I'm the only one left. Poor widow old me. This is, this is a martyr complex. And again, this is a whole separate sermon, so we don't have time to go into his different levels of complaints. But let's just say this. God listens, and Elijah emotes. Elijah's, I think, dead wrong on how, what, how he sees himself. And yet God is so patient. He's so listening. He meets Elijah where he is. We have a God who meets you. He wants to meet you physically with hot cakes and hot water, but he also wants to meet you emotionally by allowing you to speak your mind in full honesty of how you feel. And I guess before we move on here, do we minister this way? Do we, do we before anything with other people who are maybe grossly wrong, do we sit with them and allow them to, to heal? Do we rest them? Do we meet them? in embrace, in touch, in care, in food. See, I think a lot of our problems inside the church, outside, heck, inside society, if we did this paradigm, a lot of our problems would be solved, or at least would be along its way about how to actually meet the needs and issues that are going on. But then look at yourself. Do you let God minister to you in this way? See, Elijah's so wrong on so many levels And yet God does not interrupt him. He's so patient. So that means you, that means guess what? You're asking yourself, are my complaints valid? Are my complaints not valid? It doesn't matter. He's going to listen. He wants to hear from you. God's tenderness is in his response. So our plans, his response, last point, the cure. Does God eventually speak? Oh, yes, he does. Verse 11 he says, the Lord says, go out and stand on that mountain in the presence of the Lord, and he's, I'm going to pass by. And Elijah sees three things in a row. First thing he sees is wind, powerful enough to, to break stone, then an earthquake, and then fire. A lot of commentaries point this out. This is Mount Horeb, which is the same place where Moses got the law, where God has actually shown up in earthquake, wind, and fire. And those are all signs of judgment, and yet we're told in all three phases of, of and elements here, God is not specifically there. And the reason why the writer has to say that is because at this time in, in, Israel, in the Israelite history, God has shown up in those things before. He has shown up on, in an earthquake at Mount Horeb with Moses. He's shown up in wind, right? He's uh, the, the, the pillar of, of, of smoke that leads the people. He's shown up in fire, right? Moses in the burning bush. And yet the the writer says, God was not in any of those things. You know why? Because that's not what Elijah needed at the time. That's not what, maybe you don't need that either. See, what Elijah needed, what God knew he needed was the whisper. And in the Hebrew, it's, it's the still, small voice. It's a thin stillness. It's a softness. Why did he need that? I'm just guessing here, but I think... If Elijah's in this deep space of self-pity, when we are in this sort of self-doubt and self-pity and self-importance, the hurt of life has washed over us. Because of that, if God showed up in, in fire or wind or earth, I don't think that would have fixed him. Right? Think of yourself. If God showed up right now in a ball of, of fire, 
How would that meet you in your self-pity and self-doubt and in your despair? It might scare you for a little while. It might put you in awe for a little while. But it's not going to actually heal you. It didn't. In fact, guess what? The chapter before, it's exactly what showed up. A ball of fire. And it didn't work. The people did not change. And so, if it wasn't enough for them to move, if it wasn't enough for the king and queen to change, it wasn't going to change Elisha, and it wasn't going to change you. What would? What would work? The whisper. What's in a whisper? A whisper sounds like this. Actually, this is not true because I have a microphone, so I'm cheating right now. But a whisper is soft. You have to be near somebody to hear it. And maybe I sound creepy, but most people who whisper in your ear, it's somebody who is intimate with you. Somebody who wants to be inches and centimeters away to come near to you, to be with you. And so God in a whisper, what this is saying is, not just A, this is how close I want to be with you. Not just B, this is the type of character and personality I am. But by inviting Elijah into this intimate conversation, which clearly affects him as, as you see how he changes because of it, where he puts cloak around, he, 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 he moves because of this. What this is saying is, to both Elijah and us, you don't just need to see his power, you need to see and experience and hear his gentleness and grace. And so right now, if you're deeply discouraged in life, if right now you're insecure, the only way that I can, I, this text is saying how you can fix that is not through power, it's through gentleness. And tenderness. I'm a, um, I'm a huge uh, Tolkien fan. Um, I, my youngest daughter, I uh, made her watch the three-hour version of the first movie this past weekend. Um, and, uh, you know, a lot of times she was turning away. I was like, no, 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 this is why it matters. You should look at it this way. Um, so I don't know if she's, we're going to go on to the rest, but uh, I'm a big Tolkien fan. In fact, a couple years ago, a friend of, of mine and I, we went to go see an exhibit at the Morgan Library, uh, where a couple artifacts and papers and, and drawings from Tolkien that had never been shown before were put on display. And my favorite thing from that uh, exhibit, out of all the things the thing that I remember the most, is a little drawing of an owl that Tolkien drew for his son, Michael. And what we're told, the backstory is this, is that his son was having nightmares about a large and sinister owl that glared at him. And what's so amazing is that his son was so afraid, and his father, to deal with that fear, he didn't lecture him, he didn't wag his finger, he didn't say, oh, don't be, you know, you know so naive, don't worry that an owl can't hurt you. Didn't, didn't reason with him even. Instead, he drew a picture in a way for his son to be able to conceive and deal with the owl, to be able to see it. He made an owl representation that took the fear away. So instead of belittling his son's fears, he enters into them in tenderness and gentleness and redraws them. I love that. We have a God who does the same thing. He, en- he, he in tenderness, does not belittle our fears, but enters into our reality to deal with our issues. You know how he does that? In the person of Jesus, centuries later, God draws himself into creation. He enters into our space. And what's really amazing, by the way, 
in 89 chapters in, of the four Gospels that give us all different versions of, of Jesus, in all 89 chapters, there's only one little verse where Jesus addresses his own heart. It's Matthew 11, chapter, uh, chapter 11, verse 29, where he says this, I am gentle and lowly in heart. I think that's amazing. Jesus, when he wants to tell you his character, the core of who Jesus is, he says, I'm gentleness. I'm accessible. I'm present with you. For all the power that he had, Jesus is essentially saying in that statement, I'm that whisper. I'm the personification of it. And you can see how gentle is. He's gentle with the sick, healing those in need. He's gentle with children, allowing them to, be, to come close. He's gentle with those weeping. He weeps with those who weep. He's gentle with those who have done grievous, terrible, awful things by forgiving them. And when he dies on that cross and cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You know what happens? There's an earthquake, tears the, the um, curtain in two. There's a wind, there's a storm. There's fire, but that wrath does not fall down, come down in heaven from you, on you. It comes on him. He takes all the brokenness, all the reasons, all the, all the problems that we have, that we've done to other people, and he, by dying for, for us, allows Elijah and you and me to get that whisper. It's why he can get close to you without destroying you. And so right now today, if it, does, it doesn't matter how distraught you are, I don't care what you've done or what you haven't done, the whisper of God, the gentleness of God is found here. And it's just a touch of tenderness, a word of grace whispered to you. I think it could change you. And he will be gentle with, our, with your hurts. We, have, we've see, we see it over and over and over again. That's why Jesus can say, come all ye who are weary and heavy laden, for I will give you rest. That's the exact same place. You know what he says after that? For my heart is gentle and lowly. That's why you can go to him. Right now, if you call yourself a seeker, if you say, I don't know about this Christianity. How do I know it's really true? This is the answer. Every other religion, every other non-religion, just the way people live, it's all the same. It's always perform, dance, do. And if you do enough, if you're worthy enough, then we'll let you in. We'll let you into relationship. We'll let you into heaven. We'll let you in. Christianity is the opposite. It says, yes, yes, there are things for you to do. But instead of karma, karma says you get what you pay for. Christianity says you deserve to be out, but you're let in. And through Jesus, now we can come all ye who are tired and heavy laden, for my heart is gentle and I can give you rest. Jesus says, go to him. Everybody in this room, you're going somewhere right now. Go to him. Go with your doubts. Go with your questions. He's listening. He listened to Elijah. He's going to listen to you. For everybody else in this room, again, whether you're a Christian or not, ask yourself, are you listening? Do you hear him right now? Whispers are hard to hear, by the way. Sometimes you can't hear them unless you're in the quiet. Are you putting yourself in a space where you could actually hear him? Or is the cacophony of life, do you put those, head, head, you know, those headphones in and do you just not even, you're like, oh, I'm just going to drown out any thought that I might have, any doubt I might have, any way, any space I could go to him with. Maybe it's the reason why we're having a hard time right now, the reason why we have no joy in our life, maybe we're having a hard time in our relationships, maybe it's not 
because of just what's happening out there. Maybe it's because we've forgotten his grace. We've forgotten his, his gentleness. And we're not hearing his whisper. Their text says, by the way, there's 40 days between when he's met physically with the hot cakes and hot water and when he hears the whisper, and there's a desert in between. Maybe you're going through a time, a, a, a dry season. Maybe you're going through a desert in your life. But guess what? If you're listening, if you're willing to hear, he's going to speak to you. Spend time with him. Come near to him. Sometimes it takes a lot longer to hear a whisper in a dry season, but he's listening. But are you listening to him? Because he wants to give you rest. And he's going to meet you there. And it's beautiful because guess what? You're not being asked to, be, to go outside your humanity. He's going to meet you in your space, who you are, physically, tangibly, mentally, spiritually. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is, this is a, such a profound, profound uh, story. Because I think a lot of times we just think we're, we're, we're computers. We think we're ethereal. Our brains are... are, are outside our bodies, Father, but here you are assessing the issue as the wonderful counselor and saying, oh, I know what you need. You need some rest. Father, a lot of us are tired. We've been through a pandemic. There's, a, there's all kinds of trauma and heart, heartache, Father. Father, if there's medical and, and, and um, clinical problems, I pray that we will get help uh, in those areas, Father. And I also pray that you will spiritually meet us in the space of, whis- of the whisper that you've uh, come after us, Father, most, most personally, most profoundly in the person of Jesus. We praise you in your name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to our church podcast. We pray that it can serve as a resource for you as you continue processing aspects of Christianity and growing in your faith. We hope you'll subscribe to our channel if you haven't already, and we invite you to check out our website, To learn more about our church and how to get connected to our family, just visit lincolnsquare.redeemer.com.